Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Thank you for being here. And we're still going online, so we have people joining us, and maybe they got to see a little bit, a little bit of a baby dedication. Um, so glad to have our daughter Kelly with us and uh, our two grandchildren. We're excited about going back to camp. We didn't go last summer, but two summers ago, Abigail and Joshua and Brenda and I, we had a blast at kids' camp two summers ago, and so Kelly's jumping in on the action this time around, so we'll see what happens. Amen. We ready. We've been doing exercises and stuff like that, so running, bicycling, trying to get in shape. Um, I think when we look at the Old Testament, we're going to be reading from 1 Kings chapter 16, if you want to turn there. Uh, when we look at the Old Testament, the Old Covenant expressed that way and under the law of God, and we think sometimes that faith then is a little bit different than the faith of the New Testament. Those 39 books that make up the first section of your Bible, the Old Testament, we tend to look at that as different than the other books, the New Testament books. But it's all the same faith. There's great characters in both sides of your Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. When you go over to the Old Testament, there's some great characters there. There's Noah and his family, the flood. And then you have God putting his hand on this man from Chaldea. Uh, what, what kind of race was Abraham? He was Chaldean. He was, and today we would have called him an Iraqi citizen. He, he founded his own family, his own ethnicity. But God chose this man, an older man from Chaldea, and God's hand was upon him. And all through his history and the people of Israel and going through 400 years of slavery and God delivering them, all of those things pointed to a people that God was separating unto himself, the people of Israel. And when, by the time you get to uh, 1 Kings 16, though everything is kind of like went haywire, most everything, you had um, the Jeroboam revolt that was against Solomon's son, Rehoboam. You had ten tribes of Israel that revolted against Judah and Benjamin, created a whole different nation, the nation of Israel. Judah and Benjamin were the only two nations to stay in the south, and of course the tribe of Levi stayed with them because they did the work in the temple. So you had this very small group of people that was part of Judah, but a lot of people that was part of of the northern kingdom. And what we get to is the arrival of a king named Ahab. And this is what we're reading about this particular king. So follow this with me, if you will, if, first, if you're at 1 Kings 16, verse 29. This is toward the latter part of the chapter. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Amri, became king of Israel, that northern kingdom. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Amri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him, which is really saying something. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Now, this is quite an indictment against Ahab. He definitely married the wrong woman. 
I had Joshua with me for a little bit this morning. He came with me, and he was kind of like the one who turned on all of the lights in the building. He just he just wanted to come with me. He's my sidekick, so I hired him as a part-time staff person just for the day. But I was talking to him, and he's like, what are you preaching on? I said, I'm trying to pray on a guy that married the wrong woman. And he said, Joshua, you can't marry the wrong woman. And he says, I know. I said, you can't do that. I said, well, you can't do that. And he did that. That's what we're going to talk about. He married the wrong woman, a woman named Jezebel. There's a, a humorous story that my, my sisters love to hear told that we had a, a great uncle and an aunt named Elmer and Isabel Simpson. And they were, he was in a, an executive position in Chicago. We were in Harpersville, Alabama on a chicken farm. And Elmer and Isabel was coming down to visit us, so my mother was sweating bullets. She fixed the house up the best she thought. She wanted us all to be on our best behavior. And I was outside as a little kid running around barefoot. They said, oh, Elmer and Isabel's in the house. You want to come see them and say hello to them? And I ran in, and I said, hey, Uncle Elmer and Aunt Jezebel. And my mother's face turned white and said, oh, he didn't mean that. He Say, Isabel, Charles. I said, Isabel. I called her Jezebel right to her face. They never came to visit us in Harpersville ever again. But Jezebel was, well, King Ahab was king, but we really know that he wasn't in charge. It was one of those relationships. He had king as a title. But everything ran through her. She controlled everything. She was the one who was running the nation to the point, think about this, to the point that all the genuine prophets of Jehovah, she tried to find out every one of them and have them executed. Almost kind of like the culture we have today. We just can't have anybody dissenting from some other different position. And she wanted to lock down this nation, Israel, for Baal worship, and even said that Ahab went right along with it. And here comes the prophet Elijah. He goes directly and confronts King Ahab about what's going on. And you find this in the very next chapter, verse 1. If you're still there in King 16, this is King 17, 1. And this is what he said. This is the message Elijah had to say to Ahab. As the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. There's not going to be any rain or morning dew until I say so. But this was a direct challenge not to Ahab, but to Baal, the one that Ahab and, and Jezebel had ushered to the forefront of worship in Israel. So here's the breakdown on Baal. Who is this God called Baal? He was an ancient Canaanite deity that was in existence or was recognized as a deity before Israel ever went into the promised land. So this was an ancient deity. It was, had long been in this area of the country. It was associated with agriculture. Baal was considered, and, and I'm giving this directly from a site that does uh, that gives you the research on it. He was believed to be the giver of life of mankind. Was dependent, mankind was dependent on him for providing 
what was necessary to sustain farms, flocks, and herds. Very important in that culture. That Baal guaranteed that your farms would go well, your herds would go well, that you would be blessed. The word for Baal means Lord or Master. And the Canaanites believed that Baal was in absolute control over nature and over people. They believed that the only God who was superior to Baal was his father, El. But Baal was the principal deity, listen to this, of the land. It was he who was in charge of the rain and the weather. And man's survival was dependent on Baal's provision. The very thing that Ahab and Jezebel was promoting about Baal, Elijah walked up to him and says, there's not going to be any rain. There's not even going to be dew on the ground for years until I say so. And the next thing that the Lord spoke to Ahab is, you better get on the move, buddy. He says, you go and hide yourself down at the brook. And that brook was his water. And in the morning, ravens brought bread and meat to him. And in the evening, they brought bread and meat. He got out of harm's way, but he gave the message that God was going to put an end to Baal being believed as the one who gives rain because it's not going to rain for a really long time. In 1 Kings 18, we're going to jump ahead to when Ahab and Ahab and and, uh, Elijah has an encounter toward the end of this. It's about to rain, but Elijah is going to encounter King Ahab. This is in verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? And Ahab, Ahab or Elijah responded, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. He's even said that we know exactly what you've been doing. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. You see who's really running this operation. It's Jezebel. She has as many prophets of God that she can kill. And and Obadiah is a man who has been hiding a 100 of those prophets, 50 in each of two caves in, to keep her from killing them. So Obadiah was a man of God, but he had to play it very carefully around her. In 1 Kings 18, 21, we read this. Ahab went before the people and he said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, if Jehovah is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing and that's why i titled this make up your mind this is what he was saying to him you got to choose you can't you can't just go and have no decision and pick either one or both you've got to make up your mind it is either going to be jehovah or Baal. after this time there had no rain and elijah was going to meet up with these prophets on mount carmel And it was really about who's going to be in charge. I like the King James. How long halt ye between two opinions? Don't you like the King James? How long do you halt between? I don't know. I've been behind people in line on different things, and I really am saying, make up your mind, please. You've been behind people like that? 
Make up your mind. But he's telling them, make up your mind as who you want to serve, who you want to recognize as a true master. Baal means Lord. Baal means master. And Yahweh means Lord. So this was a competition between two gods who could not coexist in the land. You had to make a choice. You couldn't have both. And Jesus made this statement about the time that people have to decide who they're going to serve. You can't have two masters. This is in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6 of Matthew. And this is what the Lord said. This is what Jesus said. No man, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's impossible to have two masters. You can't have two masters. Baal and Yahweh were opposites. They were, they were not even compatible. You had to choose. And this is why Elijah was saying to the people, why, why are you wavering between two opinions? You've got two choices here. You've got Yahweh. You've got God, the Lord God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You've got Baal, who's the God of the Sidonians. You can't have it both ways. The showdown on Mount Carmel that happened later would decide who is the true God. And you know what happened there. He said, you know, one bull is going to be for you prophets of Baal. You prepare the altar. You prepare the bull. You get it ready for the sacrifice. And, and we're going to let you go first. And you see if fire will come down from Baal to consume the sacrifice. If that happens, we'll follow Baal. And they spent most of the day doing their thing. Down to even cutting themselves and pleading and begging for Baal to, to send fire down for their sacrifice. Elijah walked up, just kind of like, okay, enough of that. Walks up, prays a simple prayer. And after they dumped like 12 barrels of water on the sacrifice and a trench around it filled up with water, he sees this simple prayer and fire comes down from above and consumes the stone, the, the sacrifice, and licks up the water out of the trench. Left no mistake in the eyes of people. There were people, when he said this to them, didn't say anything. He says, you got to choose today whom you're going to serve. If the Lord is God, you got to serve him. If Baal is God, you serve him. And it says, they said nothing. They had no response. But after that confrontation on Mount Carmel, they really realized, and I think everybody would, that that was the true God that came by fire. And the prophets of Baal were killed. And there was a turnaround. But how long did they waver between two opinions? It's got to be one or the other. And you look at what Jesus said. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God in Baal. You cannot serve God in money. And we're speaking about the mastery of those. The Bible says the love of, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not really money. That's evil, it's the obsession of it. He said, you cannot be obsessed with God. You cannot have God as your sole source and have something else that's caught your love and caught your attention and caught the mastery of your life. You can't be on that trajectory and still say, God is my God and he's my Lord. And I think sometimes, and I, and I just see it this way, the people that I've tried to minister to, they want God to be the safety net under the high wire. 
and they want him to catch them when they fall off the high wire. That's all that he is. He's there. He's the backup. He's not the main source. He's not. He's not at the head of their decision. He's at the kind of like the tail end of things to kind of pick up the pieces and get them all repaired. And off they go again, pursuing their own interests. You cannot serve God and Baal. We're living. I don't know if you know this, but there's more money in our economy than it's ever been. I got one, yeah. There's, we are rolling in money. You say, well, I'm not rolling in money. I'm just, but you probably, there's a good chance you have more income now than you had this time last year because the government is just doling out money. And what is happening is that this love of money has captivated people to where they don't even want to work. There's hiring signs all over this city. Anyone in the fast food industry tell you that they cannot find people to fill out their staff. And it's because money has captivated people and and the love of money is the root of all evil. So you cannot serve God and serve the best thing to keep money from mastering your life is to give God his kingdom. Is to give what belongs to him. Put money in front of him and said, Lord, this is a tool that you can use, and it's not going to run my life. I refuse to let it to run my life. You're going to be the source of everything I depend on. Whatever I have left after the tenth is given to you, I'm going to trust you to do more with it than I can do with the 100%. And I preached not long ago about that. This is what kills the love of money is when you put it all in perspective to the lordship. You cannot have Jesus as Lord and money as Lord. There can only be one Lord. You cannot serve God in money. You cannot serve God in carnal pleasures. You cannot serve God and have a fascination with pornography. And that's just one of many addictions that you cannot call Jesus Lord and something else is lording over your life. Someone else, something else has mastered your life. You know, if, if you really kind of listen to the statistics the average age of a child that is exposed to pornography is younger and younger and younger. You think about how destructive those images are to a developing mind and the development of your moral liberty. You cannot serve God and pornography. It's impossible for God to be in control of your life and something else control your life. You cannot serve God in, uh, in addictions. The last Sunday of, of this month, we're going to have Teen Challenge here. The last Sunday. And I've always had a great respect for Teen Challenge. Do you know Teen Challenge is all over the world? When I went to Russia, I had a money belt that the Assembly of God gave me. When I entered into Russia, this is when I went by myself with $15,000 in that money belt. Walking into the Moscow airport that I had to give to the Teen Challenge in Moscow. And I had to report it, and there's these people holding gobs of money, making sure that it's 15000 and I'm looking around thinking, who is targeting me? And when my ride got there, I said, we're going straight to Teen Challenge, and we're giving them this money. I don't want to be with it any longer. 
$15,000 was sent to the Teen Challenge in Moscow. You know why? Because there's no answer in that country for addiction. In Bombay, Chennai, India, there's a Teen Challenge there because they don't have an answer outside of the power of God. Nothing breaks heroin addiction. They will tell you there is no hope for a heroin addict. And those are the exact people David Wilkerson walked into New York and introduced Jesus as the bondage breaker. And Teen Challenge erupted as the only thing that had 80 to 85% cure rate of people who had addictions before they went into Teen Challenge. And five years after, they came through Teen Challenge 80 to 85% of them are still free of addiction. Bradford Place has probably single digits that they did that cure rate. There's not another government entity. They just supply a different drug for the drug. They don't have an answer. They try. But this truth that he says here, Jesus says, you cannot have two masters. You will serve one and hate the other. You cannot have Jesus as Lord and addictions as Lord. You cannot have a controlling spirit and Jesus be in controlling of your spirit. We cannot have things that we want. And believe me, self-worship, putting oneself, you don't have to have external chemicals. You can just have your eyes on the wrong thing and pursue the wrong thing. That's the bell that cries out for worship and the mass mastery of God. Baal means Lord and Master. And the question may have presented in cultures past, still permeates culture, who do you serve? Who are you going to serve? This is what Elijah asked his people. Why are you waving your twin field pennies? You either serve the Lord or you serve Baal. You've got to make up your mind. No man can serve two masters. All of us in this room, whatever you're facing, what, whatever challenges you have, the Lordship of Jesus is your best answer to it. The Lordship, it doesn't, you know, we, we can't make decisions for our children and, and for other people. We can make our own decisions that Jesus is going to be Lord of my life. I'm going to be watching out for anything that tries to cloud his Lordship. The danger when one begins to excuse things and say, well, I can do both. I can I can have this and you know, nobody's perfect. I can do this. I can delve into this. And when you start going down that road of justifying yourself, then you become the bell. What you're justifying is no longer bell. You become the bell. You become the master. I want to do what I want to do. I've had people tell me, um, I, I want to do what I want to do and I'm going to go through with my decision. This is my choice in life. And they're going against scripture and what they were doing, what they were contemplating. And on the other side of that is a devastation of life. Because God's word is specific on you can't compromise the lordship of Christ. You have to reject compromise. You have to resist self-promotion. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've had a chance to be with a lot of people that's battled addictions. I've seen the great deliverances, but I've, I've seen the great disappointments. Somewhere along in there, though, Jesus is set aside as the true focus and something else is added. So refresh yourself in God's truth, God's power, His mercy.
surrender to him what is the greatest thing in your life. Because where there's pain, there becomes a place of excuse for you to cater to it. And for you to justify, well, people hurt me. And this is how I cope with it. I challenge you today to lay that at the feet of Jesus. Lay it at his lordship. You cannot, this is not my words, these are his words. You cannot serve two masters that cannot be served. He said, you either love the one or hate the other. You can't, you can't have both. And even us, I don't think sometimes we realize when we're stepping into something and starting to gain more control over it, we are visual people. Bell had an, Bell had images that people had little idols and they looked at that image. And this is why God told the people of Israel, when you build an altar, I don't want you using dressed stone. I don't want any of you putting tools to the wood and to the stones that you put as an altar. You just take the, the stones like they are in the ground. You put that together. I don't want you doing anything to improve the altar. Do you know why? It's because we become the credit for how pretty something is. Don't you like those stones that I put together? Man, I polished those things. They fit perfect. And this is the whole reason why he says, I don't want you doing that. I want you to take just the way it is from the earth so that there's nobody that can take credit other than the focus on that altar is going to be, this is for the Lord God. This is just the way he made the stones. We're going to go with what he made. And I tell you, I mean, that's an incredible principle for us to live by today. What does he want from me? You know, Daddy Taylor Jackson, Mackenzie, and we realize, don't we, that God creates every child unique. They're all unique. They have a unique plan. They have a unique anointing upon their life. And yet, we have these challenges that we face. We can't compromise. We can't give in to temptation. We have to surrender our struggle. You have to surrender your pain. If somebody has hurt you, offended you, you can carry that. It can be a poison into your spirit for a long time. But for the sake of the Lordship of Christ, you have to lay it at his feet. And I don't know. I just think maybe he made it clear that we are not allowed to walk in unforgiveness. We have to walk in forgiveness. Would you stand?